Uh, For the rest of us, we're going to continue our look at the ups and downs of following Jesus through the eyes of the Apostle Peter. That's what we've been looking at uh, this fall. And if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to turn uh, to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be reading uh, some verses from uh, Matthew 26. Uh, There was a a really powerful movie, one of my favorites, uh, years ago called uh, Saving Private Ryan. And if you've ever seen this movie, uh, you'll know it's an old World War II movie that is uh, starring what has been one of my favorite actors, uh, Tom Hanks. And there's a little twist at the end of the movie. I don't think I'm betraying it if you haven't seen it, but there's a a little twist at the end of the movie, and you recognize that that this movie is actually a a retrospective uh, in the sense that the main character is looking back on his life And he's really wondering uh, whether his life was worth something. He wrestles with regret. He wrestles with um, past successes and failures. He wrestles with the question of of why he survived when so many others didn't during World War II. And he wonders that because he survived, did his life make a difference uh, for the good? And I think that scene resonated with me and with so many other people, because whether you are young or whether you are old, you know that we all have moments where we tend to look back on our past uh, retrospectively, uh, where we wonder whether or not our lives have made a difference, whether it's been a long life that we've lived or a short one. And often, as we look back, uh, we are tempted to be filled uh, with feelings of regret, Uh, We could probably all name some things about our past that we wish that we could go back and change those things. And so we can relate to these feelings. Well, as I looked at our passage this morning, I I thought about a, a very old and wizened and hardened Peter, the Apostle Peter. And I have to think that if you talk to Peter later in his life as an old man, he would have looked back on his life And he would have told you that this was the moment that he wished he could take back. This was the moment he wished he could go back and change about his life, because this was most likely his greatest failure. And and sadly for Peter, his failure was, was somewhat of a public failure. And we know all about this. We've seen in our culture a rash of uh, celebrities and uh, politicians and personality uh, who get canceled, quote unquote. Maybe you've heard that term or or you haven't. Uh, Something about their past has come up that they've previously wanted to be kept a secret and that secret becomes public and then uh, they become a victim of what people call our cancel culture. And so we all know what this is like. We all know uh, what it means to be exposed, what it means to wrestle with our failures. And of course, we know that Peter's failure was, was very public. It was one of these public failures because all four of the gospel writers tell this story, every single one of them. And it's really very rare for all the gospel writers to tell the same story. But when it comes to Peter's public failure, every gospel writer wants to talk about it. And so we're going to look at Matthew's account of this story, and I'm going to be reading from Matthew 26. I'm going to read uh, verses 57 to 58 and then skip over uh, to verse 69, but know that there are parallel passages of this in uh, Mark, Luke, and John as well. So listen to Matthew's account. 
Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. And now skipping ahead to verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you here this morning, and we pray now that as we reflect over the next few minutes on uh, your word and uh, this story in the life of Peter, that you would show us more and more what it means to follow you with our lives, and especially what it means to follow you in the midst of our failures. So be with us this morning. Speak to us through your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't have to tell you that failures uh, are often very painful. Uh, We wish we could change them either in the moment or we wish we could go back and change them. But also, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably have to admit that those failures also shape us into who we are. And we wouldn't be the same person we are sitting here without those failures because they often shape our identity and they become part of our story, part of who we are. And this morning we get to look at Peter's failure on display for all of us. And as we dissect this failure, I want to see this story progress in really three ways. And, And fortunately, the final chapter of this story we'll get to flesh out in detail next week. But the first thing I want us to look at is promises made, and then promises that were broken, and then the good news in the midst of it all, and that is that our failure is not the last word. Our failure is not the final word. So let's start by looking at the promises that were made in our story this morning. Um, I know it doesn't feel like it this morning, but um, this is the last week of summer, I believe. This, is, this coming week is the last full week of summer. And uh, then, even though it feels like fall this morning, uh, it, it isn't quite yet. But many of you know that f- once you start back at school, summer is over, right? Uh, the, 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 the meteorologists can say other things, but once school starts, uh, summer is over. And so the week before school starts is always a very hectic week in the Donahue house, and here is why. 
Uh, at the beginning of the summer every year, we, we talk about, all right, it's summertime. What are some of the fun things that we want to do this summer? And every kid has some ideas on some fun things that we're going to do this summer. And of course, Beck and I as parents are like, all right, we can do that. We can do that. We can do that. And, uh, but then we sort of settle into these promises and say, yeah, but we have all summer to accomplish these things, right? And then what inevitably happens is we come to the week before school and all those promises that we made at the beginning of the summer, we realize we haven't done any, if, all of, or if any, all of them. And so that last week, we got to rush around to experience all these promises and make good on our promises. And of course, we fail to do a lot of it. Much of it is left undone. Well, the context of this story this morning is, is a promise. And it's a promise that was made by the Apostle Peter to Jesus Christ. And uh, if you remember, if you've heard the story before, uh, it, the promise happens in that last evening together, probably just hours before uh, the, the part of our story begins. And if you've read this narrative before, you'll know that Jesus has an intimate dinner with his disciples, and uh, at one point during that dinner, he goes around and he washes all of his uh, disciples' feet. And then later during the dinner, he drops uh, some really important news upon his disciples. And he says to them, uh, over dinner table conversation, he says, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. And of course, all the disciples, when they hear this, they can't believe the things that are Jesus saying. And what do they do? They start looking at one another. Is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? They start speculating over who would be the one to betray Jesus. And Peter, who's sitting there, Peter knows one thing very crystal clear. It wasn't going to be him. It could be that guy. It could be that guy. I've always been suspicious of that guy. But when it comes to betraying Jesus, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be me, Jesus. And then John chapter 3 tells us this story. Simon Peter said to him, Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And then Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Now, you got to love Peter in this story because Peter, always the, the boisterous disciple, always the one to, to speak first in every situation, he declares to Jesus his loyalty, he declares his faithfulness, he declares his fidelity to Jesus, he promises to Jesus that he will be by his side until the end. You see, Peter knew, just as Jesus did, that, that a storm was gathering, a storm was gathering around Jesus and adversity was coming. And so Peter declared that he would walk with Jesus through the storm. He was making promises to Jesus and he would stand by his word. But of course, Jesus knows our hearts often better than we do. And, P and Jesus knew Peter's heart better than he did as well. So even though Jesus heard these promises that were being made, he knew that those promises would be broken. Promises made 
and promises broken. Now, most of the gospel writers want to put this narrative within what's called a courtroom scene in order to show a really stark contrast between Jesus and between Peter. Uh, What we know is that Jesus is arrested after this dinner in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, If you've read the story before, a troop of soldiers come and they collect Jesus. And as soon as they arrive, all of Jesus' disciples scatter. They run in different directions. But Peter initially scatters, but he wants to sort of see what happens to Jesus. And so he follows Jesus at a very safe distance uh, for himself. Once again, it's in the middle of the night. We saw a powerful story in the middle of the night last week. Once again, it's in the middle of the night, probably uh, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. in the morning. And what we learn is that Jesus has been taken to the home of uh, the high priest for uh, a mock trial that happens in the middle of the night. So imagine this very intense courtroom scene that's full of opening statements and closing statements and cross-examinations, and Jesus is at the center of all of it. He's facing an intense amount of pressure from the high priest and the officials that are surrounding him, and everybody knows that the stakes in this courtroom drama are incredibly high. In fact, Jesus' own life is at stake in this courtroom, and and eventually the officials ask him what is the million-dollar question, are you, Jesus, are you the Christ? Jesus knew that, that if he answered in the positive, if he said yes, then it would be the end. It would mean the end for him. But he does say yes anyway. Matthew 26 Christ says this, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds. You see, Jesus, in the face of intense pressure, by saying these words, has just signed his death warrant. He would be crucified. Jesus could have taken the easy way out. He could have asked for a little more time to consider He could have called down angels from the heavens to end this charade. He could have caved under the pressure, but he didn't because it was the will of God for him to suffer. And so you see Jesus in this moment resolved, a face of resolve in the the face of an enormous pressure that is against him. And now the gospel writers want you to contrast that with Peter right? They want you to contrast it with Peter, because Peter is being questioned just as Jesus was, but the context of it is a little different. Instead of being in the courtroom with all the officials around, Peter is in the courtyard, simply warming himself by a quiet fire. Matthew tells us that a servant girl, a servant girl, not a, not a Roman official, not a high priest or a member of the religious elite, a servant girl questions Peter, and he says to her, I do not know what you mean. Then another servant girl questions Peter, and he swears under an oath, I do not know the man. And then a little while later, bystanders ask him too, and he invokes a curse upon himself, and he swears, I do not know the man. 
And then probably one of the most dramatic moments of this night. And then the rooster crows. What Jesus had predicted has come true. And the writers tell us what effect that had on Peter. It tells us that Peter was absolutely undone by what was happened. He went out and he wept bitterly. The reality of his failure and the pieces of his faith were shattered all over the ground, haunting him in that moment. Ringing in his ears had to be the words that were spoken by Jesus earlier in the Gospel of Matthew that said this, that whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so Peter had to be wondering, have I just ruined the last three years of my life? Have I just effectively flushed all of this down the toilet? Would God now deny me because of my public failure? Now, as we look at this passage, it's really easy for us to be kind of hard on Peter and to say, Peter, why couldn't you get yourself together? Why did you crumble under such, not even intense pressure, such modest pressure here? But I think for those of us who've been following Jesus for any length of time in our lives, we know our pressure isn't quite the same as Peter, but we know what it's like to taste a little bit of this pressure. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we have to to conclude that we have often bowed the knee to the crowd, that we have often denied Jesus Christ with our lives. It might not have been in a courtroom. It might not have been in a courtyard. We might not have been facing the threat of imprisonment or execution like Peter probably was. But we all know the pressure to cave to the surrounding culture that is around us. We all know that that temptation to be formed by the pattern of the world that is around us. We all know times where practicing our faith or following Jesus will certainly be costly, whether it's socially, whether it's financially, whether it's relationally. And of course, we all know what it's like to give in to that temptation and to deny Christ with our lives, to promise that we will follow him to the end only to turn around and follow another path. Followers of Jesus, we know that that this faith really is full of ups and downs, but we also know that the downs more often than not have to do with our own lack of faith and our own denials of Jesus Christ in our lives. We all, like Peter, have at points denied Jesus and the rooster crows for us just as it does for Peter in our story. And just like Peter, not only have we denied Christ, but we've all experienced failures. Followers of Jesus or not, we all know what it's like to to live with regret. We feel that that our mistakes are like a, a scarlet letter that we wear around our chest. When we leave the room, we often wonder or imagine whether other people are whispering about our character and about our past mistakes and failures. And so the big question we all wrestle with and the big question of our story is this. Will those denials, will those failures be the last word in our lives? 
Will those things define our lives? Will they define our identity as people? Will we always be known as a cheater or as a drunk or as an adulterer or as a failure? Will we be forever defined by our sins and by our missteps? And this, friends, is where the beauty of the gospel steps in. This is where the beauty of the gospel steps in, because even though a promise was made and a promise was very publicly broken, we see ultimately that Peter's failure was not the last word when it came to Jesus. And what the gospel tells us is that our failures are not the last word when it comes to Jesus. I really want you to come back next week. Because next week, next week, we really will see Peter's full restoration after his failure. And then in subsequent weeks, we will, we will see Peter standing in front of thousands of people declaring to the world the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And we will see all these things because Peter's denial, his failure, all those things did not disqualify him in the eyes of Jesus. You see, Peter, he needed to feel the tears. He needed to feel them. He needed to feel the remorse. He had to to come to terms with his own frailty. This rock, that's what Peter's name means, this rock needed to be broken. And friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we need the same thing. We need the same thing. We need the gospel to do that to us as well. We need to to see and to feel our sins. We need to be broken by them. We need God to to strip us of all the things that we build our lives around that are not Him. He needs to break us before He can build us up. But then in those dark moments, when we are perhaps in our darkest of moments, when we are finally and truly despairing of our own sin and our own unrighteousness, in those darkest of moments, we are met by the forgiveness of a Savior. You see, because Jesus endured through the Garden of Gethsemane, because Jesus endured through that mock trial and even the denials of his closest friends and the scattering of his disciples, because Jesus endured through the pain and suffering of the cross, you and I, just like Peter, can be restored. Our denials are not the final word. Our failures are not the final word in our lives the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ becomes that final word. It becomes the thing we build our story around, the things we build our identity around, because the gospel is very clear. We are sinners, absolutely, yes, 100%, but we are sinners who have been saved by God's grace, and that is good news. Let's pray.